All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today I am discussing some potential breakout players for the Atlanta Falcons in 2021. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP. Still going strong on Twitter at Falcfans. And, of course, the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And today's episode of Locked On Falcons features my breakout 2021 Falcon players, some players that I think could be in store for a breakout season touched upon this topic a week ago with Will McFadden, formerly of Atlanta Falcons.com. And he gave three players and I'll sort of give you my thoughts on, I think the three players that he talked about. I remember one player we talked about, but we'll focus mostly on the 2019 and 2020 draft picks that now could break out in years two and three of the draft or of year two and three of their NFL season. And I'll pick one player that is not sort of entering that part of his career that could be in store for a breakout season, largely due to the change in coaching staff. And we'll get into that later on today's episode. But before we get into that, I do want to sort of give you my thoughts on the recent press conference done by Falcons head coach Arthur Smith, as well as general manager Terry Fontenot that they held on Tuesday and uh, get you sort of my reaction to some of the things that they said in that. And we'll do that kicking off today's Lockdown Falcons. So my big takeaway from that press conference from Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith was not a whole lot. You know, I, I think both guys have done an excellent job mastering the art of coach and GM speak where they don't really say a whole lot. And I think they were very uh, intent on sort of keeping their cards close to the chest or close to the vest. However, that saying goes by basically saying we're open to all things. And then when the intrepid local media reporters were asking them sort of very specific questions, sometimes they were sort of saying like, we're not going to necessarily answer that. And shout out to the local Falcons media uh, doing an excellent job, trying to get them to reveal as much as possible. But, you know, shout out to Terry and uh, uh, Arthur for doing their best to not sort of leak any of their plans. But, there was sort of one thing that Terry Fontenot said towards the end of the press conference that sort of caught my eye, caught my ear, I guess you could say, which was sort of his focus on value and sort of not to paraphrase what he said, but more sort of my interpretation of, of some of the things that he was saying when he was talking about how the Falcons were going to focus on value. And when that comes to the draft, he was sort of my interpretation of what he was saying was, you know, everybody talks about the first round pick, but really for us, you know, the second through seventh round picks are going to be very important for us because that's going to be the things that you use to build a team and sort of that jives with, you know, the things that I'm constantly preaching on this podcast where everybody gets overly obsessed with sort of who the Falcons are going to pick in round four, or I mean, sorry, with the fourth overall pick in round one and sort of forget that they can address their other needs in rounds two through seven, as well as in free agency. And the other thing he said about free agency, when he was sort of talking about value, at least my interpretation of what he was saying was, 
you know, he was saying something along the lines of free agency isn't just about the big names, it's about trying to find value. And it seemed to reiterate something that Tory McElhaney, as well as Will McFadden, have said on this podcast and elsewhere, as well as others have said similar things where the Falcons are likely to be bargain shoppers uh, this offseason. If I was to put a number on it, like I would sit here and say, I think there's a pretty good chance that the Falcons are going to sign like a dozen or more free agents this offseason. That may include some guys that they wind up resigning, uh, like a, a Luke Stocker or a, a Justin McCray. Um, and I would sit there and say, if they're going to sign 12 free agents, I would probably guess at least eight, if not nine, possibly more of them will probably wind up being guys that wind up playing for something close to the veteran minimum, you know, maybe like one year, $1 million or something like that, maybe 1.5 or something like that. And uh, so I think that's really where the, the bargain shopping will come into play. And that's been something that slowly, but surely I'm been forced to have to wrap my head around because you guys know that if you listen to the podcast, certainly earlier this month, you heard me say things about being very optimistic about the Falcons ability to, you know, make some, bigger splashes in free agency than maybe people were giving them credit for. But as more and more rhetoric has sort of been coming out these last couple of weeks, I'm at least not trying to get my hopes up that the Falcons are going to make the big moves that I'm hoping that they can make. I'm still hopeful that they can go out there and sign someone like a, a Joe Tooney. I, you know, the Carl Lawson ship has is basically sailed at this point in time. All reports over the last couple of days indicate that the Bengals are, are fully intent, or at least everybody who covers the Bengals seems to expect them to tag Carl Lawson if they can't reach a long-term agreement with him between now and March 9th when the franchise tag, tag deadline expires you know Joe Tooney is a player that could wind up playing alongside Carl Lawson the next season you know the Bengals are his hometown team and even though I'm hopeful that the Falcons may be able to pursue Joe Tooney if he hits the market I'm not necessarily super super optimistic that that deal will get done you know frankly from my perspective you know given that Tooney's team is the hometown team is the Bengals it will be a, a great failure on the part of Cincinnati, given their needs on the offensive line, if they don't land Joe Tooney. So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, the Falcons can ruin Bengals fan streams, but we'll see how that goes. So um, I, I still st- do think the Falcons will make a, a, a bolder move or two in this offseason. I think safety is a position that's definitely prime for that. And we'll probably get a little bit more into that on this week's free agent Friday on tomorrow's episode when I break down the free agent class. But I will sort of because of this, I won't say revelation from Terry Fontenot, but at least sort of slowly realizing that, you know, I'm going to have to look a little bit more at bargain shopping when we do a future free agent Fridays. And I think next week, the plan right now is to do running back. I'll probably wind up focusing a little bit more on some of the bargain buys that the Falcons may have to do at that position, rather than some of the splash signings that we talked about with the edge rushers last week. And probably we'll be talking about a little bit more tomorrow on the safety position. So uh, those were, that's one of my main takeaways we're probably going to do a little bit more bargain bin shopping than at least two weeks ago. I wanted to believe the Falcons, would do. Um, and I'm, I'm slowly but surely making my peace with that. And, you know, as I always say, you set your expectations when it comes to the Falcons really low and, and maybe they surprise you. And maybe we get to March 17th or March 15th when the tampering period starts and, and maybe the Falcons after, you know, spending the next, what, three weeks convincing myself that the Falcons aren't going to make any bold moves. Maybe they make a bold move or two and I go, hey, you know, uh, you set those expectations low so that the, even the Falcons can't disappoint you, right? That's, that's the way, that's the rules that we live by but yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, okay. Anyway, guys, I, I'm done talking about that. We'll move into the bargain. I mean, not the bargain, the breakout players, uh, the potential breakout players that we could see in 2021. And we'll sort of kick things off talking about that 2019 draft class and what I'm expecting from at least the first four picks in that 2019 draft class going into year three. And we'll get into that coming up on today's lockdown Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, I told you recently about some routine maintenance. I had to get done on my car. I had some brake parts replaced. I had to get a, a taillight replaced. And after I went and paid quite a bit of money to get that maintenance done on my car, I went over to rockauto.com checked out their easy to navigate catalog, just typed in the make of my model, looked at the parts I was looking for. And I found out that those parts were a lot cheaper at rockauto.com. I, I knew this, but of course you, you, seeing is believing and whether you're looking for brake parts or tail lamps, motor oil, floor mats, whatever you can find it in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. If you visit rockauto.com. And of course, as I found out the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low, the same for professionals and do it yourself. I'm no professional, but I definitely need to start being more of a do-it-yourselfer if I want to save serious cash the next time I need parts. So don't be like me. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So February is Black History Month, and the Lockdown Podcast Network is honoring the challenges and success of black men and women in sports with a new series called Lockdown Presents More Than a Game. This week, we have two conversations to wrap up the month. First, a discussion on the protests in sports across leagues. Then tune in for a discussion on the importance of black history in sports, what's been achieved, and the important work left to be done all in the discussion on the Lockdown Presents podcast feed. By the way, I am on that second discussion about black history and sports, but listen to both shows. But, you know, if you needed an incentive to check out at least one of them, check them out by subscribing to Lockdown Presents podcast feed. Subscribe to it on the radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. So, you know, I think when we talk about potential breakout candidates, and this is something I talked about last, I think, Wednesday with Moo McFadden, formerly of AtlantaFalcons.com, we talked about sort of that year one to year two jump, that year two to year three jump. And, uh, you know, I think that makes it easy to sort of project potential breakout guys when you look back at the guys going into year three in 2019, the guys going into year two from the 2020 draft class. And let's start things off talking about sort of my expectations. And so rather than sort of sitting here and just, you know, picking from these two draft classes and saying, oh, I think these guys are the most likely to break out in 2021. Let's just talk about all of the guys, at least all the main guys. We're not going to necessarily spend too much time talking about Quadri Olison, but all the guys from those draft classes and sort of my expectations going for those guys and their potential to be breakout candidates. So start starting things off with the 2019 draft class, the two first round picks and Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry. We already saw Lindstrom kind of have a breakout year this past year, making a, a significant leap in year two. I think we can assume that he will continue on that trajectory in year three and really solidify himself as one of the top five to 10 guards in the NFL. Uh, I think that's certainly plausible for him and really sort of refine his game and fine tune his game um, as a guy that can sort of fit in any type of scheme, whether we're running power, whether we're running outside zone and being able to go toe to toe with some of the top D tackles in the NFL still need to see him do a little bit better job against some of those bigger, powerful uh, power D tackles like a Chris Jones, like a Keem Hicks, those guys that he struggled with uh, this past season, but didn't have too many problems with Indomitian Sue. So I'm looking forward to see Chris Lindstrom and what growth he can show. 
with Kayla McGarry, I think Kayla McGarry also does not get enough credit for the improvement he showed in year two. I know Kayla McGarry uh, doesn't quite live up to expectations. I think a lot of that has to do with sort of the high expectations from him being a first round pick. I think that has to do with, you know, people sort of expecting him to be a Ryan Ramchek type of player based off of where he was drafted. And I, I tend to think that Kayla McGarry, the reasonable expectations for him, given where he was drafted, is more on par with sort of a second round offensive tackle, someone more like a Rob Habenstein. And I think Kayla McGarry is, is, is on potentially on that path to get to that level. I don't think he's going to be some elite right tackle or anything like that. Um, but I think he showed uh, tremendous growth in his terms of his technique this past year. And given that he really had no off season, you know, from what I understand, only spent a day or two working with Keenan Forney. Um, and, you know, he's going to have an presumably improved uh, coaching from Dwayne Ledford, who, who gets a lot of praise from people for the, all the work that he did uh, producing some really talented players at the collegiate level at Louisville, at NC state, at Appalachian state. Um, and you couple that with a full off season, um, you know, or at least what is closer to be a normal off season uh, this year compared to last year, at least the presumption is that guys will be able to get on the field, uh, you know, wearing masks and whatnot. I, I imagine if they let guys play football and practice during the fall and winter, they will let guys practice during the spring and summer. So we'll see how that plays out. But uh, you never know uh, with pandemics and, and whatnot and, and, you know, mutated viruses and whatnot. We'll see. But, um, you know, I, I do feel like Caleb McGarry on a path to, you know, be a, a solid NFL player. And I'm eager to see sort of what improvements in his technique uh, continue now in year three for him, because he's never going to be a guy that's going to win with pure athleticism. He's going to be a guy that's going to always probably struggle against the Brian Burns of the world. And he's got a couple of more guys like that on his schedule, like, um, you know, Demarcus Lawrence or whatever. But, you know, I think he showed some growth uh, the, the handful of times he was able to square up with Cameron Jordan and uh, Shaquille Barrett this past year. So I, I feel like there are signs of his improvement and I'm eager to see sort of if he can continue that in the year three. Uh, I won't necessarily call him a true breakout candidate because I don't think you're going to expect him to be like a top 10 right tackle this year. But I think, you know, expectations are that he will continue on his path, his trajectory to improve and become a solid right tackle, starting right tackle, probably like, you know, the 15th best right tackle in the league or something like that. And I think that's significant improvement because, you know, as a rookie, you probably say he was like the 29th best right tackle in the league in this past year he's probably like the 23rd best right tackle in the league and if 15 is is considerable growth from where he was uh, a year ago so um, moving on to the two fourth round picks in Kendall Sheffield and, and John Kaminsky you know Sheffield of this group I'm not as optimistic about this 2019 draft class. I thought he kind of regressed from a technical and, and awareness standpoint last year. You know, and one of the things that we talk about with the Dean Pease scheme and the hope for the Dean Pease scheme is that the guys will be smarter or more disciplined. And, and I think Sheffield kind of regressed in that regard. And I don't necessarily know if Pease is able to bring that sort of stuff, uh, you know, getting guys to play better from the neck up. You know, that's not necessarily where Sheffield has shined. Um, so I'm not too optimistic about where he's going to be a year from now. But I, you could certainly make a case that, you know, some of his struggles might have been due to the fact that he spent more time playing on the outside this past year than he did the previous year playing, spending you know, the bulk of his snaps playing the slot. And maybe it will make more sense to move him back to the slot. Um, and we saw what that did for Isaiah Oliver last year. And maybe that will benefit Kendall Sheffield uh, going into year three. And, and we can sort of see him 
possibly be salvaged as a as a guy that could be a top three corner on this depth chart rather than just sort of being relegated to having a special teams role, which is kind of my expectation at this point in time, probably being the fourth or fifth corner playing special teams. But we'll see. We'll see. I'm not going to completely close the door on Kendall Sheffield at this point in time. But, uh, you know, given that we saw some growth from several players under Joe Witt Jr., we didn't really see that from Kendall Sheffield, makes me a lot less optimistic than I think a lot of other people were uh, this time last year, talking about Sheffield's potential year two growth. Um, so we'll see. Uh, John Kaminsky, you know, not to rehash what we talked about. We talked about this extensively with Will McFadden last week on that episode. But basically, to summarize what I said then is, you know, the year three jump for defensive linemen like John Kaminsky, that guys that tend to rely on their strength, their athleticism and motor to win and, and sort of developing that technique takes about until their third year. And I compared him to Jamal Anderson and Rashid Hageman that did that and were sort of the better player versions of their players uh, in Atlanta. Although technically I think it was Jamal Anderson's 2010 season, which would have been his fourth NFL season where he started to show a little bit more consistency from a technical and hand usage standpoint. But I'm hopeful that John Kaminsky will benefit from playing in this DMP scheme, you know, sort of looking like that classic three, four defensive end, but being able to move around and play multiple techniques across, the defensive line front, which we've seen flashes of him doing these past two years in Atlanta. And I'm eager to see what he can do uh, with the coaching um, from this new regime and sort of seeing uh, what, where he will be a year from now. So I have, you know, I won't say high hopes for John Kaminsky. I think probably in the end, he'll still be a more of a rotational player than a high level starter or anything like that. But I could certainly see him being a solid starter, um, a guy, you know, a player similar to Henry Anderson um, in, with the Jets and formerly with the Colts, who was a solid player for those teams. Not a, not a necessarily a household name, but a guy that got the job done. So that's my hope for John Kaminsky. But even if he doesn't quite get to that level, um, I, I think he's going to be a, a solid piece to the Falcons rotation. And we will uh, move on and talk about the 2020 draft class. Again, I don't have much to say about Quadri Olison because there was nothing really to base off of. And just go back to what I said about Quadri Olison last offseason. And let's hope that whatever expectations I had for him going into year two, he can show in year three under this new regime. But uh, maybe we can revisit Quadri Olison further down the road, uh, particularly after we see what the Falcons do this offseason at the running back position. But we will move on from the 2019 draft class and look ahead to the 2020 draft class and what those guys can do going into their second year as we wrap up today's Locked On Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, I want to tell you guys about Bet Online, the fastest and easy way to bet on all your sports action. NFL might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL, as well as FCS college football are in full swing. Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality television. At Bet Online, you can get real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up just head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag use the promo code locked on to receive a 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit again use that promo code locked on at betonline.ag to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus with your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts so before we get into the Falcons 2020 draft class and what those guys can be expected to do in year two, I want to let you guys know that Thursdays on Locked On NFL Podcasts are a must listen with hosts Ryan Tracy and Jake Lisko breaking down teams across the NFL from an analytics and team building perspective. Get that expert analysis on your favorite teams with Ryan and Jake every Thursday by subscribing to the Locked On NFL Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So talking about the 2020 
draft class and those guys going into year two. Obviously, A.J. Terrell had a really solid rookie season, had a little bit of ups and downs. You know, you could argue he hit the rookie wall after the bye week. And, you know, I thought showed some flashes and the hope for him going into year two is sort of the peak of what he was able to do. In his rookie season, we will see more games like that, like more games against Adam Thielen and less games like we saw against Mike Evans and Michael Thomas. And I think he'll have an opportunity to do that. I think one of the things that gets underreported, I guess you could say, about this upcoming season is just how much easier, how much less pressure is going to, at least in theory, be on the Falcons defense this upcoming season, not only from not facing a a bunch of uh, top-end quarterbacks like they did last year. I think the number was something like the Falcons faced like I, I want to say like eight or, or 10 of the top 15 quarterbacks in the league last year in terms of uh, adjusted net yards per attempt. And uh, this past year, like 13 out of their 16 games featured a wide receiver that finished in the top 20 or not a wide receiver, a, a receiver, including tight ends that finished in the top 20 in receiving yards. Um, and that could have been all 16 if Michael Thomas and Cortland Sutton hadn't gotten hurt. So it was just kind of a, this was one of the reasons why I was not overly optimistic about what Raheem Morris would do last year uh, in quote unquote fixing the defense just because I thought the quality of competition was so high and you went back to the second half finish and, and the fact that against the teams that had competent quarterbacks like Drew Brees and James Winston when they weren't able to get pressure on those guys they were able to pick apart this defense and we saw what Brashad Perryman did uh, against this Falcons defense in that week 17 game it was like what's Michael Thomas going to do what's you know Jerry Judy going to do what's Amari Cooper going to do if Brashad if they can't even cover Brashad Perryman so um, those were some of my concerns going into last year I don't think they're going to have as much of the problem this year they do face some quality um Receivers, they got Stephon Diggs, the guys in Carolina, obviously the guys in Tampa Bay, Michael Thomas coming back. They're facing George Kittle this year. He's coming back from injury. Terry McLaurin, the guys in Dallas as well. But for the most part, you're not necessarily going to see as many premier talents. And so I think that's an opportunity for a guy like A.J. Terrell to even show some of the things that he wasn't quite good enough to do, like being a shadow corner this past year. He might do a better job, particularly, you know, because he really struggled against bigger guys like Thomas and Evans. But he might do a little bit better job with the quicker guys, you know, the, the, the guys that are more, you know, route runners like he did with Adam Thielen in that Vikings game this year. And so you're not facing a who's who of, of wide receiver cores where it's like a murderer's row like we did last year. And so I that not only do I think A.J. Terrell, unlike Kendall Sheffield, will benefit from Dean Pease's scheme because A.J. Terrell is a pretty smart player and plays with a lot of awareness and intelligence outside of a couple of like third and longs where he had a couple of brain cramps last year. But, you know, I think generally plays with a level of awareness and toughness and, and, and intelligence that makes you think that he should benefit playing in the scheme of Dean Pease if that's an area that Pease uh, and company will be able to improve upon him. So I, I feel really optimistic about A.J. Terrell's growth in year two uh, now that he's sort of got his feet wet, um, you know, after a solid rookie season. And I, I think the, the sky's the limit for his potential. And I'm eager to see how he fares against uh, this level of competition and whether or not, you know, not to say that the receivers 
that I didn't mention um, are chopped liver. You know, the Giants have a couple of solid receivers, but I, I'm eager to see, like, say, when we face the Giants where he's going up against guys like Darius Slayton and, and Sterling Shepard, like, is he going to look like a, a true top-end number one corner and really give those guys problems? And it's only going to be sort of the, the Diggs's and the Evans and the Thomases of the world that really give him problems this year. So I'm eager to see how that plays out. You know, moving on to Marlon Davidson. You know, he was only healthy for like three or four games this past year. And I thought in those three or four games, he was mostly solid, particularly against the run. And I'm, I'm eager to see sort of what continuity he can have at in that arena, as well as the growth that he can show as a pass rusher. So I'm eager to see what Marlon Davidson's going to have this season. I'm expecting him and, and John Kaminsky to mostly rotate at that uh, DN spot opposite uh, Grady Jarrett. I also think the Falcons could probably bring in a little bit more of some veteran competition. Uh, you know, that, that Brent Urban guy keeps getting uh, mentioned, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll see sort of a rotation opposite Grady Jarrett at that spot. And that'll allow the Falcons to be a little bit more multiple in the fronts using some three, four stuff and, and maybe getting Davidson a little bit more opportunities as a pass rusher. in, in addition to his play as a run defender, uh, Matt Hennessy, again, obviously he's going to be a guy that has an opportunity to have a quote unquote breakout season due to the fact that he should see a significant increase in snaps this upcoming season, largely due to the fact that he's presumably the front runner to be the starting center this year. I'm expecting growth from Hennessy, but honestly, I'm kind of expecting an up and down first year as a starter. Um, so calling him a breakout candidate seems like a little bit of a stretch just because typically you're looking for more of those like Lindstrom type of years where you're, you're seeing more good than bad. And I, I kind of think you'll see a mixed bag with Hennessy in his first year as a starter, but I'm, I'm optimistic again, for the same reasons we talked about with Caleb McGarry. Um, you know, I think he can certainly get to a level where you can, call him an average to, to solid starter, particularly with improved coaching from a guy like Dwayne Lever. You know, like Dwayne Lever was so good at coaching that he, he tricked the world into thinking Garrett Bradbury was going to be a star in the league and got him to be a first round pick who has struggled in Minnesota. So maybe he can do the same for Matt Hennessy, although that sounds worse than what I mean it, but um, Michael Walker, let's move on to Michael Walker before you guys think too hard about what I just said about Matt Hennessy. Um, as most of you know, I'm not necessarily as high on Michael Walker as the rest of the world is. I know Will McFadden, that was one of the three players that um, Will mentioned. I want to say Marlon Davidson was the other one. Um, and uh, along with John Kaminsky. And, uh, you know, I think Walker is a solid player. Uh, I, I do think there's a decent chance that he'll be a starter. I'm, I'm curious to sort of see if the Falcons do make investments at that edge spot to upgrade that position, whether or not, you know, we've talked about uh, whether or not this team keeps or cuts Dante Fowler, or do they just sort of add one player and do they add a veteran? Do they add a free agent or a draft pick? You know, I think it's it's a bit of a toss up and Walker at least has the flexibility that he can play some inside linebacker. He can play some outside linebacker. Currently I'm expecting him to be more of an outside linebacker, but we'll see. And, you know, I, I think Walker does some things. I, honestly, I'm not as sort of high on Walker's what he's going to be in 2022. I kind of want to see sort of where the team decides to, fit him in, whether it's an inside linebacker, whether it's an outside linebacker, whether it's a, more of a hybrid guy that can do a little bit of both. Um, and it's really more 2022 where I'm eager to sort of see once he sort of settles into a, a spot, once they find a, a role for him, then where he, where he's going to be in his third year is where I'm eager to see with Michael Walker. So he's not necessarily on my list of breakout candidates, but like I'm, I'm eager to see sort of where he is. 
as for Jalen Hawkins, you know, another player that I'm not necessarily as high on as others, but I'm, I'm curious to sort of see where he figures into the mix as well. I do expect safety. And we'll talk about this on tomorrow's episode, going to be a position where the Falcons do invest multiple players, free agents, and or draft picks in, even in a world where I think Keanu Neal returns, I, I expect the Falcons to add at least two safeties this off season. And so I think really at this point, the best case scenario for Hawkins uh, based off of that expectation is that he's going to be the fourth safety, right? Which is basically, I think he's going to have to, if he's going to do that, then he's going to have to carve out a, a more significant role in special teams than he did a year ago. And so essentially my expectation for Jalen Hawkins is hopefully he can find an opportunity to settle into a Sherrod Neesman like role uh, this upcoming season. And that will then give him opportunities to grow and develop. And again, like Walker, it's really more what we're going to see from Hawkins once he settles in and finds his footing there as a special teams guy, where he can be in years three and four uh, than necessarily where he's going to be next year. But again, you know, going back to guys like Lindstrom and, and McGarry, who I didn't, I, I had expectations would improve in year two, but they exceeded my expectations. So it's, it's certainly not unheard of for, again, going back to what I said earlier, you know, setting your expectations low and, and letting guys sort of exceed them as opposed to setting them to the highest level and then, you know, being butthurt as many a fan will be when they don't exceed them. As for, you know, the last player in the draft class from 2020, Sterling Hoffrichter, of course you expect a, a big year jump, a big year two jump from Sterling Hoffrichter. Of course, punters, we saw it with Bosher. I'm expecting it. If, if anybody, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's going to make a massive uh, breakout season, it's going to be Sterling Hoffrichter. Uh, you know, I, I don't feel like that's a bold statement. So uh, we'll see about that. As for the non-2019-2020 draft pick that I'm expecting to see a potential breakout candidate, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna go with Hayden Hurst. And this goes back to what I said from the jump when we acquired Hayden Hurst. It really wasn't, you know, then it wasn't about what he was going to do in 2020. It was about what he was going to do in 2021 because back then, you know, 11 months ago or whenever it was, you know, knowing – that the offseason was going to be limited, knowing that he was coming to a new team, knowing what his skill set was. I wasn't necessarily as high on him being this dominant tight end as other people were, but he's coming now. He's going to have presumably again, going back to what we said earlier, he should have at least a normal offseason and he's going to potentially play in an offense that's a lot more tight end friendly than the dirt cutter offense was in this Arthur Smith offense. You know, I'm not going to necessarily go overboard and, and try to overhype what Hayden Hurst is going to be this year. Um, because I also want to see sort of what the Falcons do at that position this offseason. Do they settle for more of a blocking tight end to compliment him, or do they potentially bring in someone that legitimately could challenge him for the starting spot a year or two down the road? So that's what I'm eager to see from the Falcons this offseason. But, you know, last year I said he would be a top 15 tight end. He finished 14th among tight ends in receiving yards, so I feel like I was spot on. And then I, I, I don't feel like it's crazy to say that he could be a top 10 tight end uh, this year, uh, which doesn't seem like a massive improvement. But given the relative weakness of the tight end position in the NFC, especially relative to the AFC, that certainly being a top 10 tight end puts him on a path. That's what Austin Hooper was to basically be a Pro Bowl tight end this year, basically to decide if he can be the one guy that wins the spot, you know, when George Kittle, the other spot opposite George Kittle, you know, I would probably say TJ Hawkinson is the front runner for that spot. But I certainly think, you know, you compare what. Um, Hayden Hurst production was a year ago to what TJ Hawkins production was a year ago. And it's not a huge leap. You know, it's basically like, like one or one target per game, you know, like 10 yards per game. 
maybe a couple more touchdowns and you know, that's pro bowl production, at least in the NFC based off of what TJ Hawkinson did a year ago. So I, I certainly think, you know, from that perspective, you you don't necessarily need to see a huge increase in Hayden Hurst, but you could see a, a, a completely different narrative about, you know, how, how good and how reliable a contributor he is. And you started to see that rapport build with him, with Matt Ryan in those final three games. And I'm eager to sort of see if that continues now that he's going to have an opportunity this offseason, you know, to get on the practice field and, and sort of pick up where he left off a year ago. So Hayden Hurst would be my non you know, recent draft pick that I would pick as a potential breakout candidate, not in, in the sense of, again, he's not going to necessarily be putting up like 900 yard seasons or something like that, but a guy that can get you like 60 plus catches, you know, maybe 700 yards and, and six or seven touchdowns. I think that's certainly uh, something that he could potentially put up this upcoming season if all things fall into place. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. And I appreciate you guys for tuning in for today's lockdown Falcons podcast. And we will uh, continue continue um, our free agent Friday series on tomorrow's episode, talking about the safety positions and, and talking about how deep this free agent safety class is and, and why I think that is going to lead to the Falcons to make, at least if there's one position that you can bet money on that the Falcons are going to, you know, potentially spend upwards of $10 million or more uh, per year on a contract on any position. I think the safety position is the safest bet of any position this off season. And we'll get into that on tomorrow's episode. And if you guys have any questions, comments or feedback that you want to provide me on anything I talked about on today's episode, anything I've talked about on previous episodes or anything you want me to talk about on future episodes, of course you can hit me up on Twitter at lockdown Falcons on Facebook at lockdown Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdown Falcons at mail.com. Of course, that means we have a mailbag coming up on Monday as well as a mock draft Monday. So, you know, if you send in your questions ahead of time, there's a good chance that you will be get your questions answered on Monday's episode. So uh, hit me up at those aforementioned uh, accounts. Now through the power of editing, I'm coming to you at the end of the episode to correct something that I didn't look up as I was recording this, but I did go back and look it up while I was editing it. And 12 out of the Falcons, 16 games last year came against quarterbacks that finished in the top 16, according to adjusted net yards per attempt. And this year they're only really slated to face four once against Josh Allen, twice against Tom Brady, once against Dak Prescott. And if you assume that Drew Brees and Ryan Fitzpatrick will not be playing for their respective teams in New Orleans and Miami that will limit the number down to four. So going back to what I was saying earlier, the quality of competition, particularly for the Falcon secondary at the quarterback position at the wide receiver position is going to be considerably less, at least on paper uh, going into 2021 than it was going into 2020. There you have it guys.